Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Dynamic Dialogue Podcast. As always, I am your host, Danny Matranga, and in today's episode, we're going to go over 10 exercises that I think are overrated as they're classically programmed in the way that they're typically delivered to clients, trainees, anyone following programming, just how they generally are recommended. So I'm not saying that these exercises are bad, I'm just saying that the way they're often programmed, I think there are better ways to do them, or I think there are more effective efficient substitutions. So I'm going over 10 that are underrated as well here. It's not just going to be 10 that I don't love. It's going to be 10 swaps. So I'm not just going to bash on them. I'm not going to leave you guys hanging. And I will apply as much context as possible. So hopefully you guys get the opportunity to really kind of understand how my brain works as a coach, some of the stuff that we do for the clients that we work with, all of that stuff. I think you'll gain quite a bit from it. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to let you guys in on a little bit of a secret. So our amazing sponsor, Legion Athletics, is offering their traditional subscribe and save option. But starting Today, or at the time of this recording, I should say, they are doing a subscribe and save sale, meaning if you subscribe to regularly delivered supplements, stuff you're taking on a regular basis, like multivitamins, whey protein, uh, creatine, you will save 20%. And so those subscriptions don't have to be set up to be delivered monthly. They can be delivered every 30, 60, or 90 days. So if you're somebody who gets creatine, uh, protein, and pre-workout, and you finish pre-workout in a month, protein in two months, and creatine in three months, you can set those up on a 30, 60, and 90-day subscription, saving yourself 20%. Also, if you check out using the promo code DANNY, you will get double points, which is pretty darn awesome. So new customers, you're going to save 20% on your subscription, right? That's amazing. That is the best deal around. And it's tough to beat because you can really just cancel whenever you feel like you need to. But this is great for those of you who are in a rhythm, who consistently take the same supplements on a fairly regular basis. And I think that you guys will really, really enjoy the savings and you'll be supporting the show. Also, before we get started, I wanted to thank some of you who have left some pretty amazing reviews for the podcast recently on iTunes and Spotify. So Spotify is finally letting listeners leave ratings and review, and those are the two things that you can do to help a podcast grow just about more than anything. Obviously, sharing it to your Instagram story and tagging me so I can say thanks helps, word of mouth helps, sharing it to any of your social platforms helps, but it seems like leaving reviews and ratings is the most effective way to help a podcast grow. And so I wanted to share this one because I thought it was so cool. This one comes from Sugar Crystal Fit. uh, And this one is over on Apple Podcasts. Sugar says, or I shouldn't say sugar, but if in fact your name is Sugar. Sugar says, I'm in the process of studying for my NASM which for those of you who aren't initiated, NASM is the National Academy of Sports Medicine. It's a personal training certification. Coach Danny touches on all the concepts that I'm studying and explains them in an easily digestible way that really helps make what I'm studying 
click. I'm so grateful for this podcast and his dedication to bringing reliable, evidence-based information to his listeners. That totally made my day reading that because helping other trainers grow and develop is something I'm very passionate about. And I got another really cool review here from Chrissy9564. Chrissy says, I've been listening to this podcast for quite some time and all of the information gone over is informative, educational, and extremely relevant. Super easy to listen. Keep putting out great content. Thank you, Chrissy. And thank you, Sugar. I really appreciate those reviews. They help the podcast grow. They mean the world to me. Every time I get the opportunity to read one, I still sit back and think about the day that I was kind of wavering on whether or not I should even start a podcast. It had been something that many people had asked about for a considerable amount of time, and I was really on the fence about it. But reviews like this remind me why I got started, and they just mean so, so much. So thank you to every single one of you who has left a review. And if you haven't yet, please consider doing it. It makes a huge difference. Okay. So the first exercise that I believe is generally overrated the way it is programmed and a swap that I prefer, we'll get to the swap in a minute, but the first one is planking as it's done traditionally for as long as possible. Now, here's why I don't necessarily love this. The plank is a good exercise for promoting core stability, for teaching the body to be able to create rigidity, resist uh, extension, and be stable. What happens when you do an exercise for time, or and this isn't just true for the plank, but in this instance in particular, is you reach a point of fatigue where maybe the mechanics start to be sacrificed a little. So let's use like the overhead press, for example. If you're doing a barbell overhead press and you're very, very strict and you're not allowing your body to use any momentum at all, you're staying with glutes engaged, core tight, pressing overhead, trying to use as much of your deltoids as possible and as little of anything else. And you reach that point where you're breaking down. Well, then you can bend your knees and do a little bit of like a pop press or a push jerk. And it's not such a bad mechanical change, right? You're using other muscles to help complete the movement, um, but you're still getting the opportunity to safely train the overhead press. Now, can that get sloppy? Yes, but that's an instance where it's okay. With the plank, what tends to happen as people's hips start to travel downward closer and closer to the floor. And they actually start getting hyperextension through the low back, which is the entire point of the plank is to create an anti-extension stimulus, something that we can train to kind of prevent. So when you plank for time, um, if the time that you're planking is so long that your technique actually goes to shit, it kind of defeats the purpose of the exercise. So some swaps that I prefer if we want to get really effective core stability anti-extension training in. First is the RKC plank, which is a way of performing the plank with a little bit more intent where we squeeze the glutes, we brace the core, we cue driving the knees and elbows together to create an almost crunching-like effect at the abs. And that I tend not to do for as long as possible. I still might do it for a time frame of maybe 15, 30, 45 seconds, depending on the fitness level of the client. Um, but I find that's a lot better than just planking for as long as possible. It's not that there's anything wrong with planking for as long as possible. I just think this is generally better. Another one that I like in place of this, if you're not wanting to use time, maybe you prefer to use repetitions or you're looking for a more advanced anti-extension exercise, would just be the ab wheel or you, the ab rollout. You can use a ab wheel device or you can even use like a barbell with some plates on it. But I find that those two are a little bit better than the plank for time. Okay, so the second exercise that I think is overrated as it's generally performed 
is the seated hip abduction machine for glute development. So the seated hip abduction machine is often referred to as the bad girl machine, whereas the seated adduction machine is often referred to as the good girl machine. And those are two of the most ridiculously sexist and stupid names I've ever fucking heard in my life. And that's not what this is about. It's about the actual ability for the glutes to promote, or I should say to initiate, the abduction when you're in that seated position. And I've heard a few coaches hit on this and I thought they did a really good job communicating it. I don't necessarily know who said it first, but I've heard it from Coach Chasm over at N1 Education. And I've heard it, I think, from my friend Jordan, as well as just kind of my own understanding of mechanics. This makes a lot of sense to me. But when you're in this seated position, and you're super leaned forward like a lot of women tend to do, and you're pushing out into the abduction, uh, you're abducting in that frontal plane, you're, you're really pushing out, you know, you feel some sensation in the lateral aspect of the hip that can often get confused as glute. But really, the muscle that tends to be getting trained in that situation is the piriformis, which is not necessarily a muscle that many people need to be training or tightening. And if you do too much work on the piriformis, it can cause secondary problems like piriformis syndrome or even things like sciatica. I'm not one to fear monger here, but if you want to train abduction specifically for glute development, I might recommend a few alternatives. The most logical one for me would be low cable hip abduction using an ankle cuff, right? So you just put an ankle cuff around your ankle. You can buy two and set both up and then just switch between cables more quickly. If you only have one, that's okay. But you just buy a little ankle cuff and hook it to a low cable pulley. That tends to work substantially better. If you don't have that kind of equipment, you could even do like side-lying hip abduction um, or... Ideally, if you if you want to really load it up and, and get better at it and, and like progress that that pattern of feeding the hip, if you will, and really loading in that frontal plane, you might even try something like a Cossack squat or a lateral lunge. So those are better alternatives if you're looking to hit your gluteus medius in a unique way and challenge abduction in a more what I would describe as quote unquote functional way. Not that there's anything dysfunctional about using the hip abduction machine. I just think it's better for targeting the piriformis, which tends not to be something most lifters are really interested in doing in the first place. So the third exercise that I believe is overrated is the barbell deadlift for posterior chain hypertrophy. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I do think that the barbell deadlift is a good movement for posterior chain hypertrophy, but I think that the barbell Romanian deadlift is a little bit better specifically for development of the glutes and the hamstrings. Why? Well, the first thing is you can generally get away with using a little bit less weight because the stimulus to fatigue ratio, or in other words, to put it simply, the amount of stimulus you can get on the desired tissue, the glutes and the hamstrings, the posterior chain of the lower body, Relative to the amount of fatigue, how hard the exercise is and demanding it is on your joints, central nervous system, and just overall energy, is better with a Romanian deadlift. You use a little bit less weight, but because the weight doesn't necessarily touch the ground, and because the knees don't get the opportunity to flex and extend as much, they're relatively fixed, it's mostly a hip hinge, you're really loading up 
the glutes, and the hamstrings. Now, one of the amazing things about the deadlift is that the ability to recruit the lats to help stabilize the spine. The traps, right, are always used when we're deadlifting, particularly when you're just standing at the top of a deadlift holding onto this big heavy barbell. So maybe it's not as good for development of the upper portion of the posterior chain, like your mid-back, low traps, upper traps, etc. But it's certainly not bad either. And if you're using it as a exercise to develop your glutes and hamstrings, I might use wrist wraps so that my wrist and grip didn't become a, uh, a limiter because oftentimes, especially for women, the strength that they have in their grip, their hands, isn't quite as strong as the strength that they have in their glutes and hamstrings. So their glutes and hamstrings fatigue, but their hands and grip fatigue more quickly. So the set will often get stopped short, whether it's a deadlift or a Romanian deadlift. But in this particular instance... If we're using the barbell deadlift for hypertrophy of the glutes and the hamstrings, I think you'll get quite a bit out of it, but I think you'll get more out of doing RDLs, which is usually why you'll see in the programs that I do, I program deadlifts, but usually the repetition ranges are lower and the volume is lower than the Romanian deadlift work that I program. So I do think deadlifts are good for strength. Now, what about those of you who are taller and maybe struggle with using the barbell deadlift for strength? Well, in that instance, I might recommend a hex bar deadlift. I find that the hex bar deadlift is a good way to train the pattern. It is substantially more similar to something like a squat, I find. Um, the way that the load is actually displaced, like with a barbell deadlift, it's entirely in front of the body. With a hex bar deadlift, it's kind of out to the sides of the body. And you reach down and you grab the bar handles and they're at your sides. Whereas when you do the barbell deadlift, they're in front of you. And for taller lifters, this might be a little bit better. If you've coached people for a long time or you've worked in the gym setting, you, you may have seen a taller person attempt to perform a barbell deadlift and it can get really hard for them to do this without doing what I call table topping, which is basically just bending so far over that their upper torso is creating a table looking parallel kind of with the ground platform. Form. And that can put the lower back in a position where it might be a little more exposed. So doing a block pull or a hex bar deadlift might be a better strength option for a taller lifter who still wants to build strength pulling from the ground. So those are some ways in which I think that the barbell deadlift is often a little bit overrated. It's still a good exercise. In fact, you know, I think if you apply all of these exercises correctly, they're all good. These are just better alternatives for certain situations. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. Let's move on to another barbell lift here. We were going on to number four, the barbell bench press. And I think the barbell bench press is also good. Um, this is an exercise that has been a staple in my pec training for many years. I don't do it as much as I used to, but I got tremendous pectoral growth from doing a lot of barbell bench training early in my career. But I also got a lot of shoulder and elbow problems. One of the things that I don't particularly love about the barbell bench press is the fact that you are 
are working in a relatively fixed position with regards to the shoulder. Meaning when you're locked in on that bar, there's not a lot of opportunity for the shoulder to move and groove. And there's nothing wrong with that if you have really good high quality shoulder mobility that some people do. But you'll often find a lot of people are limited with their shoulders ability to kind of go through a full range of motion with the barbell. They might struggle to get the bar all the way to their chest, right? And they might find that it's uncomfortable on the shoulders and elbows. And so a better option, I think, for most people when it comes to building pressing strength are things like push-ups and dumbbell bench press. I love the dumbbell bench press because you can do the same exact movement, but you do have the ability to actually move your hand position and, and thusly you get to move your shoulder position. So like on a barbell bench press, when you grab that barbell and your hands are right out in front of you, your shoulders are kind of neutral. But if you have dumbbells, you can turn the dumbbells in a little bit and do a little bit of external rotation, maybe put your shoulders in a slightly more comfortable position. I find that most people can pick up quite a bit more range of motion. And, and this is true of both flat and incline bench press. It's also true of decline bench presses, um, whether you're using dumbbells or barbells. Now, there's nothing wrong with using the barbell as a strength building exercise. Obviously, if you're competing in powerlifting, it's a requirement. But if you're not, I tend to like dumbbell presses for that reason. Now, if you're using the barbell bench press as the primary means to develop the pecs, um, there is an alternative that I prefer actually here to both the dumbbell and the barbell press. And that is all of the various forms of cable pec flies. I really like the cable pec fly, especially more than the dumbbell pec fly, because the resistance profile is very even. It's very uneven when you do a dumbbell fly. So at a dumbbell on a dumbbell fly, it's extremely challenging at the bottom of the range of motion where your arms are all the way abducted. They're all the way at your side. And then as you come up and up and up from the lengthened position to the shortened position, it gets progressively easier. And at the top of the movement, there's literally no tension on the pec whatsoever. Well, with a cable uh, fly, the resistance profile is very even throughout the entire range of motion. It's very easy to adjust dual arm cables to be able to hit the various, uh, we'll call them heads, but we'll call them fibers as well, of the pec. So when we talk about the pectoralis major, the big pec muscle, there's three primary divisions. The first is the clavicular head, which basically runs into your clavicle or your collarbone. And that's what many people call the upper chest. Some people used to refer to that as the pec minor, but the pec minor is deeper. It's underneath. So we're talking about the clavicular fibers of the chest, which run kind of at an angle that if you wanted to line the cable up with, you'd go from low to high. Then we have the sternal fibers or the sternocostal fibers, but for the purpose of this podcast, we'll divide those into two regions. So we'll go to the costal fibers. And so this is the middlemost fibers that very much, or I'm sorry, the sternal fibers. These are the middlemost fibers that kind of run laterally right into the sternum. And I would say that if you look at most anatomy textbooks, this is probably 60 to 70% of the total fibers of the pec. And so when you think about how you might set up the cables for these, it might just be kind of directly aligned with your pec. So very much in the middle, not low to high, but right in the middle. And so these fibers pull directly inward towards the chest and the clavicular fibers pull slightly upward um, 
from low to high. But then we have those costal fibers, those bottommost fibers, which again, this is all one muscle. So a lot of times people will say, oh, there's no such thing as lower chest. There's no such thing as upper chest. There's only one chest. Uh, that's not entirely true. There is an upper portion of the chest primary muscle. That would be the clavicular head. There are some lower oriented fibers. Those would be the costal fibers, which we're talking about right now. The inner chest, for example, is is really just a tendon between the two muscles that lies over the sternum. So that's probably the one you could make the argument for. But those costal fibers are probably best trained with things like dips. So think about the upper chest fibers. We're going arms lower to high. The sternal fibers were going arms together in the middle, and those costal fibers were kind of going arms from high to low, almost in like what you would do with a dip. So if you're interested in getting the maximal development possible out of your pecs, I generally would recommend doing those exercises in place of just loading the shit up out of a barbell and hoping for the best. But if you only have a barbell bench press, you can do amazing work. You just have to be very conscientious because that um, stimulus to fatigue ratio that we talked a little bit about earlier when we were talking about the deadlift kind of disproportionately skews, um, in the wrong direction. It's a little bit much. Okay. Number five, uh, the easy bar skull crusher for triceps. Uh, not my favorite. I prefer for tricep hypertrophy specifically, uh, dumbbell skull crushers, or overhead cable extensions. Now, the tricep is predominantly responsible for elbow extension, which is basically the opposite of a bicep curl, elbow flexion in the bicep curl, elbow extension in the tricep right? So think about a tricep rope extension. Now, there's three heads of the tricep. The long head, the biggest one, attaches to the scapula or the shoulder blade. So to hit that guy, we need to move our arm a little bit. We need to adjust it so that the triceps long head has the opportunity to kind of pull. And so when we train that long head, we're thinking of things like overhead dumbbell extensions, overhead rope extensions, skull crushers. And I don't love all of those. I like the overhead rope extension the most. I like the dual cable overhead extension the most, uh, or uh, uh, the most period. I like the overhead rope extension the most of the three I recommended, or I, I mentioned. I find that the skull crusher, though, in particular, when done with an easy bar, can be really challenging because just like the bench press, we're working with this really fixed implement. And for most people, finding the exact perfect place to orient their hands so that their shoulders and elbows get to be in as comfortable a position as possible can be really, really tricky. For some people, it's not going to be an issue whatsoever. But for some, switching that movement out so that you're using dumbbells to perform the skull crusher or just alternatively using a cable instead might be a better option for triceps hypertrophy. Um, I have found that many people get pretty acute elbow issues from doing too many skull crushers too often. Some people, it's not a problem. And a lot of people really like it. So it's definitely one that I'm not opposed to programming. I just think that you need to make sure that you have alternatives whenever you're dealing with an exercise that maybe has a propensity for creating issues at one specific joint or just for the way that most people are built and more, more so even the way that most of the equipment is designed, it's hard to find the right place. So moving on to six. This is a good one. This is crunches on the floor. And I have a few alternatives that I prefer here. So first and foremost, I'll say, I don't think that crunches are bad. I think that spinal flexion in general uh, gets a really bad rap. And while it's not standalone core training, there are some really effective ways to develop your abs and train spinal flexion that I think are better 
than the conventional floor crunch. So the first is using a yoga ball or a Swiss ball to pick up additional range of motion. So I want you to think about when you do a crunch on the ground, where does that range of motion end? It kind of ends at neutral, right? When you're laying flat on the ground. But when you're up on a yoga ball, you get the opportunity to continue moving backwards. So there's more of an eccentric. You get more spinal extension. Your abs get to stretch a little bit more. And therefore, you actually end up with quite a bit more abdominal activation because you're getting the opportunity to train through a fuller range of motion. That's the benefit of adding the ball. It's really going to help you enhance the range of motion of the exercise, which is never a bad thing if you want to develop a muscle. And a lot of people train their abs to have better looking abs. So that's a great alternative there. Now, the other thing I don't like about the floor crunch is it's particularly tough to load. So how do we load that sucker? Well, you can hold a kettlebell over your head or you can press a plate up as you do it. Um, but one of the ways I like to train spinal flexion crunch exercises with load is just doing a conventional cable crunch. So I have my clients do a lot of their spinal flexion specific core training with the yoga ball or in the form of cable crunches. I generally find these work a little bit better. Okay, so number seven is the pull-up for lat development. I do think that pull-ups are great for upper back development. I think they're phenomenal for grip strength, for arm, for core. They are a staple of so many of the programs that I write, as are lat pull-downs. But I will say this. I do think that if your primary goal is lat hypertrophy, that some of the chest-supported pulling movements are a little bit better. You get a little bit extra stability. You get a little bit of extra control with the arm path. You can really load up those lats. You're not as worried about grip being a limiting factor in these particular exercises. So um, this is one that, again, I got from Coach Kasim over at M1 Education. I think they do a great job of teaching this and communicating why chest-supported pulling is a little bit better than like lat pull-downs, which are still good, and uh, pull-ups, which again are still good, but specifically for lat hypertrophy. So I have a lot of people who come to me and they want lat development and we will include lat pull-downs and we will include pull-ups, but we'll also include this stuff too, because I think it's very efficient. Okay. So number eight is box jumps for cardiovascular activity or for vertical jump power. So here are some alternatives I like. I do not ever recommend the box jumps for high intensity interval training or for cardiovascular output. If you want to perform high intensity interval training, do it on a treadmill, do it on a track, do it on a rower, do it on an echo bike, assault bike. Don't do it on a box jump. The risk of injury is simply too high. Okay. Secondarily for maximum vertical jump, the box, you're always going to have to try to set up so that it's just a smidge lower than your maximum jump. And if you get that wrong, or if you perform a rep wrong, the opportunity to skin the shit out of your shins on that box is always there. To topple and fall over the box is always there, right? To have an injury as you step down from the box is always there. But here's the thing. You jump as high as you jump, whether or not there is a freaking box there or not. So I do believe that for instances like this, just generally working on like single step vertical jumps, pogos or plyos, depth jumps, 
where you're expressing the maximum vertical force you can produce, but you're not worried about landing on top of a box and there's substantially less risk of an injury. Uh, they tend to be just as fine and substantially safer. So box jumps for cardio, not my favorite. Box jumps for a vertical leap, not my favorite. Instead, I'd rather just perform hit with other implements and I would rather additionally perform things like depth jumps for maximum vertical jump. Okay, so going back to the machines here, uh, actually the good girl, bad girl machines. I hate to call them that, but I know that's how many people refer to them. We're going to talk about the adductor machine. And that to say that I don't like it for training adductors um, is a little bit of a misstatement because I think it's fine. Um, I would still rather do low-hanging cable adduction. But a movement that I just think that nobody does that's really, really good is the Copenhagen plank. So if you want to train tra uh, the adductors to be strong, Theoretically, you could use the adductor machine and that's fine, but I really like the Copenhagen plank. I think it's a little bit of a better exercise. You also get some core recruitment and it's also kind of nice to train the core and the adductors synergistically. I think there's a lot of carryover there, particularly to some of the bigger movements people do in the gym. And so that's one that I really, really like and I think more people should do. And that's a great replacement for the adductor machine. Uh, lastly, guys, moving on to exercise 10 or a, a, a series of exercises that will take the 10 spot. Um, it's glute band work. And here's what I'll say. I, I'm, and this could be wrong. But glute band work is like really good for getting a pump. It's good for warming up the hips before you train. It's not taking anything away from your training, in my opinion. But I think the reason that a lot of people do it is because they're just simply looking for more glute exercises outside of squats, hip thrusts, Romanian deadlifts, etc. And so a better alternative for additional glute volume that may be more productive in the long run are things like 45 degree hyperextensions properly cued and properly set up executed leg presses, properly cued and properly set up executed lunging, particularly the walking lunge and the split squats. If you're just looking for exercises outside of squatting, deadlifting, Romanian deadlifting, and hip thrusting to develop your glutes, um, there's a lot of really good ones that I think allow for much more progressive overload. They have a much longer runway over time that will allow you to get better at them and have probably substantially more muscular development than if you just do band work because band work really is great at one thing. And that is what we would describe as like metabolite training or metabolic stress. You're going to get a good little pump and that's about it. And so the benefit there is like you get a good pump, you can do it pretty much every day. It might be hypertrophic in the short term and in the long term, but it's certainly not as hypertrophic as things like mechanical tension and progressively overloading with a lot of mechanical tension. So band work is there, but if you're using it to supplement, you know, like, oh, these are the exercises that I like for glutes. There are some other really, really good ones out there that I think are much more productive in the long run. So guys, there you have it. There's 10 exercises that I think are overrated in the way that they're conventionally performed, in the way that they're conventionally programmed. And there's 10 substitutes that I think are a little bit better for said goals. So thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have not yet, please hit that subscribe button. Leave me a five-star rating and review, and we will check in on the next one.